Look at somebody and say, going to church without your Bible is like eating spaghetti without a fork. You get a lot on you, but not a lot in you. I remember most of our, our, when our children turned one and we had a birthday party, we usually let them take that cake. And did you notice how they managed to get it all over their hair, all in their eyebrows, all over? Didn't eat a whole lot, but got it all over them. And there's nothing wrong with being around the Word of God, the things of God, the people of God. God is faithful, and God is consistent. We're going to go to Corinthians today, and I'm going to share a couple of scriptures from the message. 1 Corinthians 12 and 7 is where we're going. And last week, I asked you if it was okay if I was just a life coach for a couple of weeks. And last week, I believe we certainly had fun. I certainly did enjoy it. This morning, we're going to talk about vision. The Word says people without a vision perish. Uh, something wrong with no knowledge is wrong knowledge, so maybe we can look at some good knowledge, listen to some good voices, and we can hear from the word of the Lord. We're to come in one way and leave another. We are supposed to change. We're so, the word today is supposed to change us. We go from glory, Pastor Ron, with the glory of Wednesday, the glory of last night, the glory of today. Every time you get around God's presence, you, you should become more like God. I was somewhere very unpleasant. It was a dentist's office, and you ever notice dentist office always have boring magazines? But there was a Psychology Today magazine I went to read and, and peruse through it, and I saw a, a story that I thought was quite amusing. There was a, a documented true story of a guy that was having nightmares, and he had nightmares every single night. There were horrible nightmares, and they were so bad that he would wake up in the middle of the night. He, he, just, he just had a feeling that somebody was under his bed trying to hurt and harm him. This went on for months. They'd wake up. The wife would freak out. He'd get his gun out and, and do all the things you do to protect yourself. And finally, his wife convinced him to go to a psychologist. And so he made an appointment, went to psychologist, told the psychologist that he would dream that there was someone under his bed in the middle of the night that were going to hurt or harm him and his family. The psychiatrist said, what you've got is, is common, had a big, long word for it, and said, Five or six sessions of my counsel will be able to cure this. The, the sessions are $120 a session, so we'll make a point next week. You come, let's get this healing uh, process beginning. Well, the psychologist doesn't see the guy for months, and then somewhere in Walmart, and amazing what, who you can meet at Walmart, somewhere in Walmart, he ran into this guy that was having the nightmares, and he remembered him, and he walked up to him and said, hey, you're the guy that, that had the nightmares. Somebody was under your bed. He said, yeah. I said, well, you didn't come back for your therapy. You didn't come back for your, for your healing sessions. He goes, oh, went to church, told my pastor my problem, and he solved it. Psychologist, little, little, little arrogant, little, you know, cocky. Oh, yeah, I'll bet he laid hands on you and prayed for you and all that, all that mumbo-jumbo. He said, no. He said, actually, after church, the pastor came over my house with a skills hall, cut the legs off my bed, and I never had that dream again. So this morning, maybe I can cut some of the legs off your bed and we can get to some practical, some practical applications of the Word of God. Most of us know what it's like to have a mission statement or a vision statement to, to post to promote what, what we feel like God has said to us. When we uh, went into ministry, God gave me three particular truths that I try to live by and try to honor. The first thing that I believe that God gave me as a mission statement, a part of the vision that I have for my life is simply this. I want to be all God wants me to be. I don't want to fall short. I want to be all God wants me to be. We refer several times a year to Schindler's List because it's such a powerful truth. But when he got to the place where he had saved 1,100 people, he realized he could have saved one more. 
I don't ever want to live my life that, that I fall short of what God has for me. I fall short of doing what God wants to do in my life. The second truth that I live by is simply this. God blesses me so that I can bless others. That's why God put me upon this planet. We're going to share that scripture in just a minute. God's purpose and plan for our life. And the third thing that I would like you to know, my mission statement, and I want you to stay, say this with me to the best of your ability. I'll say it, and I want you to repeat it. But let me tell you how I want you to repeat it in just a moment. All that I have belongs to God. Don't say it yet. Okay, now, with your pious, pitiful, sorry voice, I, I want you to say it as mournful and as sad as you possibly can. Like, all I have. Come on, help me. I need some Eeyores to really help me here now. Come on, some Eeyores. I knew this would happen. All I have belongs to God. In that evangel- Isn't that just so wonderful? Isn't that so precious that you would commit all that? However, the flip side of that, say this with me. All God has belongs to me. Oh, that changes everything. That changes everything. When you focus and, and you realize that everything that God has, the cattle of a thousand hills, the hills, the gold beneath, the, 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 the sky above, everything God has belongs to us for our pleasure. They were and are created. I think a lot of us are falling short of everything that God has for us. We've addressed fear. We've addressed wrong voices. We've addressed our past. I think there's a lot of things that disqualify us from becoming what God wants us to be. But 1 Corinthians, reading again from the message version, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Genesis, the first chapter, 26 verse, we know that we were made in the image of God. Look at somebody and say, Soma. That's a Greek word for body. We were made in the image. We were made in the likeness of God. Look at somebody and say, Suke. We have the mind of God, the mind, the will, the emotion that we have. The Bible says that this mind be in you. Here, this gum before I choke on it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, so we can have the mind of God and that we were made with the power. Look at somebody and say, Ruah. That is the feminine word for spirit. We know there's God the Father, God the Son, but in that equation, there has to be a mom. When the Holy Ghost referred to, we refer to him as he. When it says that the spirit breathed upon the waters, that word spirit is Ruah, it's feminine. And that's the mom in the Godhead. Aren't you glad that there is a mom in the Godhead that knows how to baby us and nurture us and encourage us and instruct us? And every one of us have that ability to have that power working through us. We're made in the likeness, the image, and we have been given dominion over what God has created. Now, some of that dominion has been taken from us and will not be restored into the resurrection. You say, well, what dominion is that? Well, we do not have the ability to walk on the floor of the ocean. There are creatures upon this planet that can do that, and we cannot. We do not have the ability to just lift, lift up our head and fly towards the sun like the eagle or the crow or the raven. We don't have that dominion. I personally believe if Adam and Eve, Steve, named every single animal, every single insect, everything that, that ever was created, and the Bible says that he and she gave names, look at somebody, to all, to all, all the living creatures. So for him to name the halibut, for him to name the catfish, for him to name the bottom dwellers, he would have to walk on the bottom. I do not believe that God created the sparrow with more ability 
than Adam and Eve. I believe that Adam and Eve probably had the ability to fly. If you look at their home, it was 800 miles long, 1,200 miles wide. That's the area of the Garden of Eden, of the, the, the two rivers, Euphrates and Tigris. So if they had the ability to walk on the floor of the ocean, they had the ability to fly, they had the ability to live forever, they lost that through disobedience. Sin is an interruption. Look at something and say, sin is a major interruption that will stop and hinder the purpose and plan that God has for you. But aren't you glad that God has a purpose and plan just for you? Can I tell you that Da Vinci only painted one Mona Lisa? Can I tell you that Beethoven only produced one fifth symphony? Can I tell you that God made only one version of you? Although I've been told through my life that I look like, I forgot that one guy, was it John Michael Vincent or people said I look like him, Leroy Gibbs, him too, that guy. Well, you look just like him. I said, no, I'm older. He looks like me. So there's, there's a difference. But there's only one of you. There's no other fingerprint upon the face of the planet like yours. There's no other DNA like yours. The Bible talks about the word coming down from heaven as snow from heaven. They tell me, and I don't, I'm not a, a snowflake observer. That's just never been one of my things. Southern California, we didn't let it snow. So I didn't grow up with snow. So I didn't spend a lot of time observing the snowflake. But they claim that no two snowflakes are identical. That's how unique, that's how different God is, and that's the way that God wired you. Does that excite anybody in this building? You have the word of God, you have the word of God says inside of you, you have a divine spark. We know that your brain actually produces current electricity. If you took a, a nine volt transistor battery, which I believe is in this, is that correct? Your brain produces that much electricity. I don't know if you know that, but we also know that hidden somewhere in our soul, hidden somewhere in our spirit, hidden somewhere in our persona, there is a seed that is divine. It is a divine spark. Nicodemus, embarrassed, didn't want to be, didn't want to be hassled, didn't want to be uh, accused, didn't want thing, came to Jesus at night, came to him under the cloak of darkness and began to talk to Jesus. And Jesus said something about being born again. Tatum, you've got to be born again. And of course, Nicodemus, not knowing the verbiage that we know, but we, we, we made that, we, we've said that statement over and are you born again? Nicodemus said, well, shall I enter into my mother's womb again? Well, obviously that's kind of a ridiculous question, but Nicodemus wasn't trying to be ridiculous. He was trying to find the way. And Jesus said, no, except a man be born again through the divine power of the word of God. That's the statement for God so loved the world comes from that conversation with Nicodemus. So inside every one of us, there is an incorruptible seed. That's a seed that cannot mold, it cannot rust, it cannot fade, it cannot dissipate. It is in your heart, it's in your spirit. And when you ask Jesus into your heart, all of Jesus comes in. Quiet bunch. Now listen, if I'm going to have to shout and preach at the same time, we're going to be here at 1230. I didn't eat breakfast. I'm hungry. My stomach's growling. I got places to go. I got company coming over. The house is all clean. I can't wait to go see the fish in the aquarium. You guys have been to my house. If I got to shout at the same time I'm preaching, this could get rather lengthy. And you don't have to shout or scream. Throwing money is good. Always acceptable. Don't ever, don't ever be offended. You, you won't offend anybody. But when you, when you ask the Lord into your heart, all of God came in. Holy Spirit came in. You may not speak in tongues. You may not operate in signs and wonders but you got the whole package. If the three are one, you can't take one without the three. You can't take three without the one. The whole package, that divine spark that God put in your heart and spirit, 
all of a sudden it comes to life. Look at somebody who says, all of a sudden it comes to life. I shared with you uh, last Sunday, and those of you who know my testament, I'll be very careful not to mention any triggers or anything negative or critical, but I grew up in the house of God. I love the things of God. I love church. I love hanging out at the church. We lived at the church. My dad mowed the lawn. He cleaned the church. When I got older, I mowed the lawn. I cleaned the church. I love the things of God. I love being a part. I love the music. I love, I told you, I grew up on the red hymnal, and if you didn't sing all four verses and four choruses, and then sing the chorus of 2,100 other times. That's what I learned from the black c- culture. They sing it like they mean it, and they sing it till you get it. That was the way I was raised. I can tell you the numbers of the hymn, the red hymn. I can tell you what's on page 120. I can tell you what's on page 57. I grew up in that. I love being a part of the family of God. I played trumpet till we got another trumpet player. I played bass till we got a bass player. I played the guitar till it was too loud and the people griped. I got on the organ. We've got an organ player, and I actually would go to church with my kazoo. No one can play the kazoo like I can. I make it sound like a race car. I can make it, I mean, I can make that baby hum. But, but, I, but, I, but I loved all that. But at the age of 18, when I was a freshman in college, I was majoring in law. I had plans to become a California highway patrolman for two years, and I was going to go back to school. I was going to become a lawyer. I felt like that was, that was what I wanted to do with my life. Perry Mason may have influenced that a little bit. I don't know, but that, I, just, I, just, I, I was always argumentative. I would argue if the sign says stop, I want to know why, it's, why would you put a stop sign right here? In the, I mean, what, what are they thinking? I, so I was that kind of guy. I was always an advocate for if somebody was weak or in trouble. Uh, most fights I got into was protecting someone that was being bullied. Couldn't stand a bully. Most bullies don't want to fight. I remember very early, like in seventh grade, I realized there was not a ninth grader that could give me a whipping the way my dad did. My dad would wear me out if I, I'm telling you, he would strike. You talk about the coats of Joseph, I can relate. He would strike me. I wear sweats and PE for three days because I don't want people to think that my, my, my father was, a, was a, a child abuser or whatever. But I, it was a, a, an opportunity in the hallway happened, and there was a nine-year-old bullying a kid. He was, I mean, he was, he was just being a punk. And so I, I, I chose him off. That's what we called him that day. I choose you up. And I said, you know what? You might beat me, but I'm going to hurt you. I am going to put a mark. And I had a reputation. I'd scratch, I'd bite, I'd claw, I'd twist, I'd pull your hair, I'd tweak your nose. Hello. I, but, but, but I, <laughs> uh, my dad boxed his whole life. My dad went to town every Saturday night to drink beer and fight. That's what they lived for in Oklahoma. They didn't have anything else going on, didn't have a TV, didn't have a theater, didn't have a restaurant, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And so dad taught me how to box. I remember one particular time I boxed a Golden Gloves guy. He was a bad boy. He asked me with 12-ounce gloves. He said, do you want to go slow, medium, or fast? I said, let's go medium. Well, medium means that he hit me 12 times a second. Now, fast, I didn't want to go fast. But I, 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 I enjoyed, I enjoyed that, I enjoyed that life. But in, but in college, I got, what word am I looking for? I got, I got, I got, I just got, I got disappointed. I began to hang around cops. Let me say it that way. I began, I'm going to college with cops. I'm hanging out with cops. The cops would laugh about doing drugs or selling drugs. And, just, it just, and later, several years later, Compton, California, the entire police department got a, every, all, everybody went to jail, major cocaine ring. And so I was kind of hanging all that. And I got disillusioned. I just kind of, I just kind of, kind of got, that's not really what I want to do. So after my sophomore year, I had a 3.9 average. I got one B in two years, one B in two years. I love law. But just, it was just something that I felt was natural. But I went into construction. And in construction, you meet all kinds of crazy characters and all those 
uh, the, those crazy characters. Unfortunately, I began to taste some of the things of the world that I shouldn't have tasted. My addiction began with tobacco. Tobacco led to pot. Pot led to beer. Beer led to speed. Speed led, I began to play with peyotes and mushrooms and then got into cocaine. And that was, that's what destroyed my life, my marriage, my family, my finances, everything. But at the age of 26, God came to where I was and I heard an old, old story. How a savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow, right there in all that junk, the needles, the hash pipe, all that, the pornography, he came and brought to me the victory. And since then, this is my story. This is my song. I'm born of his spirit. I'm washed in his blood. I'm a new name written down in glory. Old things are passed away. A brand new creature in Christ. And at the age of 27, when all the rock and rollers were overdosing, I was touching the world. At the age of 27, I did eight countries in 31 states, and now, 33 years later, I think I made some notes here, 33 years later, I've done 14 countries in 41 states. There's still some states I haven't preached in. I don't really know if they exist or not. I've never been to Iowa. I'm not sure there's an Iowa. Uh, I've never been to Massachusetts. I'm not sure there's a Massachusetts. They tell me there is. I haven't preached in those states until, I've, until I see it for myself. I am not going to believe it. But aren't you glad that God is the God of the turnaround. God is the God of a turnaround. In order for you to be all God wants you to be, you've got to realize that God has a sense of humor. Look at the giraffe. Look at the orangutan. Look to your left. Look to your right. God certainly has a sense of humor. Number one goal in life should be, are you ready? To put a smile on God's face to find what God loves and love it, to find what God hates and hate it, to do what God has ordained and God has focused for you to do. Ephesians 5 and 17, again, from the living, from the message, don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. And when you want to know what the master wants, you've got to read what the master has to say. When Joshua was, fight, was facing the darkest day of his life, he'd been with Moses halfway on the mountain. He missed the glory. He missed the rebellion. He was a man of God. When he got ready to lead the people into the promised land, an angel stood before him. I believe it was the Lord, pre-incarnate. And I, the angel said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate to observe to do that all that is written therein Thou shalt make the way prosper and have good success. You've got to realize Moses only had six books. He had six books and one psalm. Moses had written five books, wrote the book of Job, six books, wrote Psalms 90. That was all that Joshua had to operate on. But in that operation, Joshua marched around the city seven times with troops. The walls fell. God did exactly what he said he would do because Joshua knew what God's word has to say. And it doesn't take very long for you to live your life to realize just because you give your heart to God, you're not immune from challenges. We taught the church a long time ago, you don't have a problem, you have a challenge. Several years ago, a young met with me and said, Pastor, I have a problem. I said, no, you have a challenge. I said, Pastor, since the age of seven, I've been wearing women's clothing. I said, you're right, you have a problem. <laughs> when, when, you, when, you, when you begin to walk this walk, when I, when I lived for the enemy, nobody cared how I wore my hair. Nobody cared what kind of music I listened to. Nobody cared what I, 
literally nobody cared what I did. The moment, look at somebody say, the moment I got saved, people wanted me to cut my hair. They want to start wearing socks and underwear. I mean, how crazy is that? You don't give a flip what I do when I'm in the world. Now you care where, where I go to church. I can't smoke. I can't drink. can't chew. can't hang out with those that do. The whole statement of the world is whosoever God, I'm not saying you go to a bar and drink with them, but God puts us in the world to be a light and dark place. But you'll learn very early in life, bad things happen to good people. I got a text this week from a young lady, three children, three different dads, has two of the children taken away from, had a, just had a baby, husband's chasing the bag, that means a meth addict. And uh, she texted me and said, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God? You know, Rick Warren taught me something a few weeks ago. Rick Warren's, God did not kill Rick Warren's son. Rick Warren's son took his life. We are a generation of choices. We have the right to choose this day. We have the right to make that decision, whether we'll go here or whether we'll go there. We have that right to make that, that, that choice. And, and God is in heaven. God watches. God cares. But sometimes God will allow things to happen to us because we demand it and we insist on it. And when you get to a place, demand and insist on it, it's, you're going to see all kinds of things messed up. But when you're focused where God is focused, you realize all of this is for a test so that I can get a testimony. I don't think there's anything that you're going through that you will not find paralleled somewhere in this book. Just read the life of Joseph. You'll see murder, incest, rape, adultery, all kinds of horrible uh, uh, things. It's the Bible of truth. And in this book, you can find somewhere that you're at and you can get direction and you can get hope from this. I shared last week how a pearl was formed. You remember? That oyster opens its mouth when the tide comes in, sucks in the nutrients, closes the mouth to feed. And when that little grain of sand is washed in that, that oyster by way, of a, by way of a wave or, or whatever's going on, that, that oyster tries to regurgitate that grain of sand. It knows it doesn't belong there, as you and I don't belong here. We have a heavenly country that God desires to be called our God. We're looking for a city that has foundations, and Moses has found it, went out looking for it. Abraham has found it, and we will find it. Are we, are, are we on the same page? The baby's fine. Let the baby do whatever. I promise you, the baby's fine. I love, I love children around. I think that is a, a good thing. We, we, will, we will find that there will come tests, there will come storms. Have you ever felt like that you're a place in your life where everybody just throws up on you? Well, that's because God is forming you and shaping you to be a pearl. He's putting you through a test so that you will have a testimony. Last night, there was a prophetic word over, over us. The past two years have been two years that I really didn't want to live. And I'll be glad when 2013 is over, but I was prophesied over You've learned things that now you can minister to people that you couldn't minister before. Well, I don't want to minister to people. I'm busy. I got all the people I want to minister to right now. Hello, can I, I don't want to open any doors. I don't want to make any more devils mad. I've already got some pretty upset, pretty irritated, and I'm not going around, you know, just bring your demons, we'll cast them out. No, New Life does that. You going down the road to somewhere else, they specialize in that. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand up and praise that we don't have demons manifested all over in this, in this building. So that, so that through... And I'm not sure what the process is. I'm sure it's over a year. I don't know how long it takes for a, for a pearl. There's culture pearls and there's, there's, there's rare pearls. But when that oyster op is forced to open up and you find that little pearl in it, the only reason that pearl is there is because it got thrown up on about a thousand times. It got, it got, it got regurgitated on. And that's exactly how the world will treat you. Jesus said, if they hate me, they are sure going to hate you. 
because there's more of you than there are of me. They're, they're, they're going to try to tear you up, tear you down, accuse you, no weapon formed against you. We have all of those promises, but it seems like sometimes weapons formed against us are prospering. That's because we don't know the akari, or the, as Solomon said, the end of the matter. Job said the end of the matter. I believe there'll come a day we'll look back and understand why all this happened, why it all transpired, but right now it doesn't make any friggin' sense. Can anybody relate? Why am I, this is not what I asked for, this is not what I ordered, hello, this is not what I told Taco Bell at the window I wanted. I want a Taco Bell, not Burger King. I don't want Burger King, I want a Taco Bell. Why did I get Burger King? Because God is God and he knows what you're made of and he knows how much you can and cannot take. And God thinks a lot more of you than you think of yourself. A lot of times we want to throw in the rag, we want to get in, we want to divorce, we want to change the job, change the church, whatever. And God is saying, just stay planted like a tree by the river. Just stay planted and whatsoever you do will prosper. I need someone to say amen in this place. Then yesterday or day before yesterday as I was out, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to be. I do not, many of you have been to my home at one time, there will be 79 perennials that will bloom in my backyard. They're all different, 79 different perennials. I'm growing weeds just as well as I'm growing perennials, but there's, there's, there's something about, there's something about my, my nature, so my, my nature, I do not purchase annuals. That the mums, the, the, all the stuff, the fall colors, now I don't purchase any of those because they don't reproduce. I want to I be in a place in my life where I can re, re, reproduce myself. I don't care about my words. I don't care, but I want people to see my life. I want to see how I, how I act when there's a storm, how I act when two of you have been on the phone with me when I ran off the road and got in a wreck, and the only thing I could say was Jesus, Jesus. Thank God it was that. Thank God the old man didn't come out and I said the F-bomb or something else. Can anybody relate? But that's what I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to be what God wants me to be so I can make something happen to somebody else. God blesses me so that I can bless others. God is blessing you. We, we came, several years ago, we came to a place in life where there was clergy and there was laity. That should have never been. The same purpose and plan that God has for me, the same purpose and plan, and maybe even greater that God has for you. You never know what God's up to. Do I have a witness in the building? Philippians 2 and 13 in the MCV. I don't know what translation that is. New something, I'm assuming. New to what? There you have it. See? New century. Wow. God, Philippians 2, 13, God is working in you to help you want to do and to be able to do what pleases him. God is working in you so that you can do what he wants you to do to please him. Does that excite anybody in the building at all? Every single one of you without, without any, any, any hassles whatsoever has a purpose, has a destiny. Every single one of you have a purpose and you have a destiny. God has a plan for your life. You will find people in life that have more talent than you have. We have a friend in our life. Everything he touches turns to gold. He was world karate champion. He created Christian karate. He defeated Chuck Norris in tournament. He sells pups for $1,500. He makes $150,000 a year selling, selling pups. He sang for uh, Bill Gaither when Lenar Harris went on his own. Um, he preaches. He teaches. He's got about 300 sons under his ministry. Everything. He t he's, a, he's a major bow hunter. He's a major... Harvester, I took him to Alaska. He tried to shoot a wolf with a bow. Hello. Uh, and and when, I'm around, when I'm around him, I mean, he can sing. He's a black man trapped in a white man's body. He can dance. He's got the moves. And I hate him. I mean, I, really, I, tell, I, tell him, I, I tell him, I hate you. Everything you touch is blessed. Everything you, but you're ugly. I'm good looking. So there you have it. 
So every one of you have talents. And the Bible tells us there's the five-talent guy, and I've got a few of those in my life. Hello. There's the three-talent guy, and there's the one-talent guy. Let me tell you something. When you sow the one talent, do what God wants you to do, there'll be other talents given. It's a trust issue. You've got to be faithful over the things that God wants you faithful over. I've been to many meetings where people come early and sit on the front row because they want a word. They got that look on their face. You know, when the man of God walks by, they got got that look like, hey, hey, I got a word for me, got a word. And it's like, they don't care if it's a bad word. They don't care if it's a judgmental con. They don't care. They just want a word. The challenge is they have done nothing with the last word they got, but they want another word to help them go in another direction, and they, they haven't submitted to the last word. And I help it anybody in the building. God gave one guy five. He went and invested five and came back with five more. He doubled. God gave one guy three. He went out with three, came back, and doubled. God gave one guy one, and the guy said, you know what? I didn't want to get involved in this kingdom thing. I didn't want to sow. I didn't want to plant. I just went, took my talent, buried it. I believe there's a lot of people in this room that subconsciously, because of accusations and negatives in the past and the hurts and pains, I think that you buried some of the ability and talent that God has given you not realizing you are a people person, not realizing you have the, the spirit of encouragement, not realizing that you are a light and dark. People like to hang around. You're pleasant. You're, you're fun. You know how to start a business, how to run a business. You know how to hire. You know how to, you know how to raise people up. And you're, you're hiding that because people have told you you can't do it or you're your worst enemy. You've told yourself you can't do it. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Left for dead three times, shipwrecked three times, beat with broad stone, all that stuff. He got up and went on. A good man falls down seven and get back up eight. And thank God Thomas Edison didn't give up on the light bulb. Do I have a witness in the building? He kept failing, kept failing. They claim a thousand times. I don't know if he actually documented every, every test, but they say a thousand times. The 999 times he could have said, I don't want to work on this anymore. I'm going to work on the sewing machine. The world needs a good sewing machine. I'm going to make a sewing machine. Forget electricity. We'll go on. Someone else do electricity. I'll do the sewing machine. She didn't do that. It was a spark, that divine spark. There's something on the inside of him. And aren't you glad that he didn't back off, shut down? Aren't you glad he completed the task? Look where electricity is gone. You can't see it. But I promise you, if you go stick your two little fingers in that socket, well, not that one, it's burnt out. In that socket back there, Pastor Talk can tell you what sockets are alive because he vacuums and cleans, as does Robert. Don't you appreciate them changing the marquee and, and vacuuming and cleaning the church, Robert, all those that are, that are involved in that. Look at, look, look, look at somebody and say this like, like you mean it. God wants to double everything you have. Does that excite anybody in the building? I said, does that excite anybody in the building? God wants... Okay, back that up to scripture. Easy. Got five, was added five more. Got three, was added three more. Job lost 10 kids. How many kids did he get back? Elisha asked for Elijah a double portion. He did exactly twice the miracles. He was one short. How many knows he was one short? One short of double. And they buried him in a grave, and the guy, a guy died. They threw the guy down there in the grave, and the guy touched the bones of Elisha. What happened? Came. We're talking about your line. Okay. My mom is eighty one. My dad is 82. My dad has a garden. He fishes. He's hunting this year. 
I don't know where they go, but they swap out jigsaw puzzles. And they do some of the hard, I'm telling you, I just look at it and go, eh, I can't even get the border. I mean, anybody get the border, hello, I can't get the border. My mom is a crossword puzzle guru. For years, I would try to go over at least three times a week and watch Jeopardy, three of us combined. We got a bunch of, we got, we got some answers. It's scary how many, how many things that mom knows through, that, through that, the puzzle stuff that she does. But when I think about that puzzle, I think about us, I think about God's plan and purpose for our life, we were not created to fit in. We were created to fit together. And there's nothing more frustrating, you don't believe me, ask my mom, than to get a thousand-piece puzzle, and you, you buy one, you go trade it in, you, you leave that one there, you get another one. There's nothing more frustrating to get that puzzle and there to only be 999 pieces. You ever been around somebody put a puzzle together? That last piece drives them nuts. Mom tries to get dad to get a piece of plywood, trace it out, cut it with a jigsaw, paint it the matching color, and stick it in there. That's how technical some people get when it comes to jigsaw puzzles. That's how technical God is when it comes for you being where you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to do because we're not going to do it without all the pieces. Jonathan told David, tomorrow's a new moon and you will be missed or your seat will be empty. God calls us in the last days to be a part of a local body. God calls in the last days to let our gifts and fruits be used in the kingdom of God. Paul asks the question, God's given apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, the, the ministry of health, governments, all those things. Then, then Paul asks, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all pastors? No. Are all teachers? No. But two words they left out, government and helps. Every one of us is called to, to operate the government in our life. Am I making sense to anybody? You are the one that delegates that government. You're the one that establishes God's principles to your children, to your family, and you don't compromise. Ministry of health, every single one of you have a ministry gift in you. It's the ministry of health. What's the ministry of health? It could be a food pantry. It could be a clothes closet. It could be changing the light bulb. It could be picking up a piece of lint. It could be driving by the church and seeing an empty beer can. Don't worry, nobody's going to assume that you were drinking that beer when you pick it up. Everybody knows people throw beer cans on a church lawn. I don't know why they do that, but that's the ministry of help. Ministry of help, you take ownership of the place that God has put you in, and, and, and you operate in that ownership. You drive by, it's the middle of the day, the lights are on, you go turn the lights off. How scary is that? It's fitting together. It's being a part of something. Uh, I'm not necessarily a Tennessee or a Georgia fan, I have met Herschel Walker. I have met Vince Dooley. Most of you know that I made a statement to Herschel Walker that was quoted by a sports writer and became kind of nostalgic for, for Herschel Walker. That's neither here nor there. So I'm neither a, I'm neither a Tennessee fan or a, or a Georgia fan. But yesterday, I really expected Georgia to beat the living daylights out of Tennessee by 11, 12, 15. Matter of fact, I made some statements, pumping gas, getting drinks, uh, not, not alcoholic beverages, Red Bull, which is about the same. But especially if you especially if you shake them real good before you drink them. Anyway, it was like, it's like, oh, yeah, Georgia. Okay, I watched the first half. Watch this, 17 to 3. I said, they got, I'm not going to watch. I got more stuff to do. So I went to some other stuff and came back and found out they almost lost. They almost lost the game. They have five major players injured. But in your mind of minds, go there with me. If Tennessee had 11 guys on the line and Georgia only had 10, do you think the outcome of that game would change? Absolutely. When they go back and show the replay and they show the offensive tackles swing wide left and taking out that, 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 that linebacker, 
and they show this, this, this tackle going and taking it. Each man is designed to remove an opponent so that fullback, halfback, tailback, quarterback can get that ball through that line. You'll watch those, those fullbacks, they'll see a little crack and they'll slip through it. But if there was one man short, I promise you the, the outcome would have been devastating. That's the same thing of the body of Christ. If you're not here in your place doing what God has called you to do, we're not going to be all that God wants us to be. You say five things when you don't attend the house of God when you know you can. Hey, there's sickness, disease, get your foot cuff chained. So I understand all those are reasons not to come to church. But just getting up and say, well, it's a pretty day. I think I'll go golfing. I think I'll go fishing. I think I'll go to the tree stand. First of all, when your seat is empty, any sinner that comes to this church says, why should I come to this church? Even, even their own people don't come. Hello. When your seat is empty, the saint comes in and goes, man, here I am trying to be faithful and consistent. They're not faithful and consistent. Why should I? Your empty chair says to God, not even the gift of your son it warrants me to be here. You're saying to Jesus, not even your shed blood is important enough for me to come and worship. And you're saying to the pastor, pastor, you're preaching vacuums. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And look at somebody and take them. Something happens when God's people get together cor- cor- corporately and worship. I told you three weeks ago that praise brings God to you. It's a sword. Worship takes you to God. It's a spear. There is a difference. And something that I've learned last night, I worshiped last night about the same way I worship here. I don't, elect what, I don't allow what people are doing around me to change my worship, as, as, as many of you don't. But if you go hypothetically to a Benny Hinn meeting, and they're worshiping, and they're doing back flip-flops, and they're, they're doing this, they're doing that, and you get right in there with them, and then you come to your own house, and you sit there like a knot on a log. Hello? There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a log in the hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a knot on the log in the hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a frog on the, on the knot on the log in the hole in the bottom of the sea. If you're just there, hello, well, I'm here. I don't want to be here. I don't feel all that good. I just, I got to go to the bathroom. My makeup looks bad, hair, bad hair day. Socks don't match. I don't want to be here. And, and you go to your own place and worship team on you. You know, worship God here just as enthusiastically as you worship anywhere else. Am I, am I getting a witness in this place anywhere? It's not all of them that makes the worship special. It's you, two or three gathering together in his name. And it's all vertical. And when you worship vertically, it opens the door horizontally. There's the cross. You see it? There's the cross. And your worship takes you to where God's at. Say this with me. Praise brings God to me. Worship brings me to God. How cool is that? If you don't learn anything else today, that is incredible. Several years ago, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but when... Oral Roberts was preaching to hundreds. This guy was preaching to thousands. He had a ministry overseas that was second to none. He was a major anointed vessel, led thousands of people to the Lord, a volunteer missionary. He would come to the States every few years, take a sabbatical, pastor a church, raise money to go back to the mission field. Somewhere in his life, somewhere in his genetic makeup, there's some things horrifically out of order. It wasn't, it wasn't that he ate too much. It wasn't that he didn't diet. But his body was just not wired correctly, and he was obese. He weighed, he weighed a significant amount of weight. He was a very, very large person. And in the course of ministry, the door opened for him to go to Michigan to take a pastorate. I believe it was the Assembly of God, and he went to this particular church to be a pastor for a year. Loved the church, loved the people, loved what God was doing. But there was a couple in the church that he really he really. He just had a liking. To, he, just, he, just, he just was drawn to them. They were so cool, and they were so supportive, and they would do stuff for him all the time. And he would go by, and there, if you've never been to Michigan, it, 
It snows a lot, a lot of ice, a lot of salt. Most houses have what's called a narthex or a portico or a little porch where you go in, you take your boots off, all the, all the snow you leave there, then you go on into the house. Well, he went over to their house one day to pick up something for the bulletin, knocked on the door, and uh, they came to the door, and he was standing on that little, little, port, little porch thing, and uh, they gave them what he came to get. And they said, Pastor, why don't you, Pastor, why don't you come in and have a cup of coffee? Come in, come in and just fellowship a little bit. And he would always say no. But every time he went to their house, he wanted to say yes. And when they would open the door, he would look over their shoulders. And he would say to himself, don't they realize that my size will not let me sit down on a normal chair? Don't they realize my size will not let me sit down on a normal couch? Because of his weight, he found himself in chairs he couldn't get out of, and it was embarrassing. And he promised himself, I'll never be embarrassed again. He would say, no, I can't come in. The whole time saying, I wish they would have prepared a place for me. There are over 400 churches in this city that have all kinds of crazy names on the, on the marquee or on the sign that lets people know that it's God's house. But I wonder how many of those churches that God visits, the word worship, as I said, it's a weighty word. It's, a, it's, a head, it's, like a, it's like a cloak. It's like a covering. The Bible says that God takes up residence in the praises of his people. The Bible says that worship brings God out of his hiding place to do wonders and miracles. And I believe that God comes to Church of the Harvest 3900 Atkinson Drive when he knows we're supposed to be here and he knows that we are going to create a platform for him to sit on. We're going to build a chair. We're going to build a place. Our praise and worship is going to layer after layer that God's heaviness, his weightiness can come and dwell with us. That's why we worship corporately. If one can turn 1,000 and two can turn 10,000, Judges, the first chapter, then three can turn 100,000. Are you seeing what happens when we begin to worship and praise that God comes down, begins to minister? Does that bless anybody in the building? I thought that was such a great truth. The Surgeon General has now determined secondhand smoke is worse than firsthand smoke. The Surgeon General has now determined that cigarettes will kill you. The Surgeon General now tells us that cigarette smoke will hurt the fetus, the unborn baby in your womb. We realize that it kills, it steals, and destroys. That's what sin does. Sin is interruption, disqualifying element that hinders your growth and your walk with God. God knew that when he created you. Before there was an Adam and Eve, there was a council of eternity, a trinity. The Father, the Word, before it became flesh, and the Spirit. The three of them knew that Adam would disobey. They knew they'd be a Sodom and Gomorrah. They knew there'd be a Ho Chi Minh. They knew there'd be a Charles Manson. God knew all that. So they came up with a plan to requalify us to be what God has called us to be. And the best way to illustrate that is to share an illustration that, that those of you that have been with me a long time, you already know this illustration, so bear with me, if you will. My parents, how do I say this? My parents were virgins when they got married. My mom got pregnant on her wedding night. My sister was born nine months and three days, I think, October 3rd. They were born three day, uh, uh, nine months and three days from their wedding day. My sister was born with tuberous sclerosis. She passed away a few years ago. She never had a normal life. So my parents, when they got ready to get pregnant again, they went and ran some tests 
to make sure their second child would be okay. Obviously, the doctors missed it. I'm not okay. There's nothing about me that's normal. I am, I, you know, I, I just, I, I don't jail right. I'm just, I'm just not like the crowd. I am a surfer dude, and I won't even get into some of the different ways that I've surfed. That's neither here nor there. But the important thing was, my parents were told when I was, was a baby, I had a tendency to favor my left hand. Now, there's some parents that will take that away from that individual. I don't know what's right or wrong. I just know that I grew up left-handed. And I remember in school, it was always frustrating because the ink that we used at school smeared. And I, did, and I have a friend. He was the president of our senior class, Carl Jackson, great guy. When he would write, he would literally t- tweak his wrist all the way. Around. Have you seen anybody, a left-hander write like that? They would write like that because the ink would smear. And, and we got... Disqual- we got disqualified. We got we, our grade got changed because we were left-handed. I think it was fair. Seventh grade, everything changed. Seventh grade, there were electives. There were classes you could choose to go to. You could go to metal shop. You could go to wood shop. You could go to tennis. I took typing. I don't know why. I just took typing. And my typing teacher was gorgeous. I'm seventh grade. I think I'm a lady killer. I know all there is to know. I have a crush on my typing teacher. I could type, are you ready? 180 words per minute with less than three mistakes. I was a bad boy. But it wasn't a great typewriter. In California, there were two things that you could do for $29.95. Earl Scheib would paint any car, any color, $29.95. And you could buy a Smith Corona typewriter for $29.95. The challenge with this Smith Corona typewriter, it didn't have a corrector ribbon. So if you made a mistake, you pull the paper out, you threw it in the trash can, and then you get another piece and start all over. But in the, early, the late 60s, something crazy happened to America. We got invaded by bugs, beetles, doors, hermits, hermits, rolling stones, the beetles, they all came from England. And we were overwhelmed by that, that new beat called rock. There was a group that came from England called the Monkeys. Remember? Hey, hey, we're the Monkeys. People say we monkey around. We're too busy singing to run anybody down. Their famous song was, Then I Saw Her Face. Now I'm a And everybody loved the Monkeys. But what a lot of people don't know about the Monkeys is that Mike Nesbitt, the guy that wore the, the cap, his mom came to America with him. And obviously, bored with nothing to do, she created a product called liquid paper. And liquid paper was a left-handed type of solution. It was a miracle worker. You're typing, you mess up, you don't have to throw it away. Just roll it up, get that liquid paper, blot that mistake out, blow on it, let it dry, put the ribbon back down, and type right over it. And nobody could tell you ever made a mistake. Thank God for liquid paper. And if she made it to heaven when I see her, I'm going to kiss her right on the mouth. I'm just so grateful for liquid paper. When John saw his cousin Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. God allowed the liquid paper of the blood of his son to wash every mistake, every sin, every failure. 
that no matter what sin did to us or where sin took us, the blood of Jesus redeemed us, restored us, anointed us, gave us purpose, gave us favor, and gave us all the gifts, all the tools that we would ever need. Thank God for the liquid paper of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can anybody relate? And he didn't just save us so that we, we would be a trophy. He saved us so that we could make a difference in someone else's life. It was not the army that came up with be all that you can be. That was God. That was God saying that, that I've got, I'll supply all your need according to my riches and glory. Every gift, every talent I put in you, I will give you the ability. You were born, how can I say this? You were born with all the tools, all the gifts you needed in that divine nature. You were born with all that. Sure, you learn. Sure, you can be around people. You can get counseling. But those gifts are in you. They were given to you before you were in your mother's womb. God didn't make a mistake, gender count. He knew you'd be a boy. He had, he had a name for you. God told Jeremiah, before you was in your mother's womb, I knew the purpose and plan that I had for you. And Jeremiah said, ah! Well, I'm going to say, it says, A-H, you look at it. That's what he said. To realize that here he was in the middle of all kinds of disorder, middle of all kinds of chaos, had abandoned God, had an affair, divorced God, had married all other gods. God said, I still have a purpose and plan for these people. He's the one that said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to bless you and plans to help you. It was Jeremiah that said that in a godless generation. Nobody wanted to worship God. He was murdered for his testimony. But God, God let us know that he has a purpose and a plan for our life. I was, when Pastor Ron and I got divorced, somebody brought me the cassette. Uh, oh, I'll show you how old I am. Of the Imperials. That was when Russ Tapp said, he sang, I listen to the trumpet of Jesus. I don't know if you remember that or not. But there was a song on there that goes like this. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. He never used the word defeat to claim his promises, every one of them. And then my brain went dead. I forgot the rest of it. But isn't that a great song? Isn't that a great storm? He didn't bring us to abandon us. The ostrich, the ostrich abandoned its, abandons its egg. It'll lay egg and, and leave it. And then some other creature of nature will sit on it. It'll hatch out the worst thing. A duck, a goose will find an ostrich egg, will sit on it. God didn't build you. God didn't raise you. God didn't restore you to abandon you. He's with you every, every, time, every, every place in your life. The footprints in the sand, we all know the story. When things got tough, well, it's all one said, that's when he was carrying us because that's what dads do. That's what dads do. Dad pick up, picks up their daughter when there's danger. We were out the other day scouting around, and chiggers had got me, and I knew where they were. Courtney and Angel had flip-flops on, so I told Courtney I was going to pick her up. But, but Courtney has gained a little weight since she was 10 weeks old. And I wouldn't strike a character. I broke a wrist. So I told him, I said, listen, when you walk through, when you walk through the grass, walk like this. And it was the funniest thing because Angel and Courtney both did exactly that. And guess what? They didn't get chiggers. So there'll be times in your life when God won't carry you, but God will put in your spirit. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 and 13, this one thing I do. Didn't say go to Benny Hinn, many be prayed for. Didn't say read Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. It says you have got to step up the plate, and you get you got to decide no more of that. I'm going to operate in this. That was then. Remember last week. This is now, and it's your choice. Two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud. The other saw stars. Two guys on the same day were abandoned by their bride at the altar. 
One guy went out and committed suicide. The other guy wrote a somebody done, somebody wrote a song and made 100 grand. It's your perception. It's your, it's your persona. It's what you value. It's what you want to do with your life. And I'm almost done. It's one minute till 12. Evangelized three years before God restored Pastor Ron and I, then we traveled together. And in that traveling, we were preaching somewhere, oh, the North City. And in that revival, after a Holy Ghost move of God, Courtney was conceived. Born. The day Courtney was born, my cousin Kent was here from Florida. It was cold. We went out and got a bucket of minnows. We went out to Perk Evans' estate, and we were catching a bunch of bass. And I was supposed to go get Courtney and, and Ron to bring him home. So I got him by the store, got a little yellow dress about this big, and I went to the hospital. And instead of bringing them home, they rushed her to Erlanger with open-heart surgery. And we know the story. She survived open-heart surgery. God touched her. God, God blessed her. But in that, in, that, in that season of life, and I'm just, just going to be as honest as I know how to be, there was, a, there was a stimuli or there was a, there was a satisfaction that I got personally as I begin to go to some of the greatest churches in the nation. I am one of the only non-licensed Church of God to ever preach at Rudisant Church of God, which at that time, 30 years ago, was the largest church of God in the world. I preached there seven or eight times. And God began to open doors in the Assembly of God, the Word of Faith, the, 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 the Church of God. And Pastor Ron and I began to go to, literally, the, 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 you can't measure churches by size, but we began to go to the largest churches in the nation. And I thought it was cool. I loved it. We did a lot of tape sales, a lot of product sales, a lot of results, a lot of, a lot of good things happened. But God began to deal with me. And God began to bring to my attention that 80% of the churches of the nation run less than 100. 80%. And God says, some of these churches really need your ministry, encouragement. And so I got an attitude with God. I said, okay, I'll go to some of these churches and see if you can provide for us financially. It was a dare. It was a, it was a cocky surfer dude dare. Just dared God. So I began to book the smallest churches in the nation, literally. We went to a church in Cordial. Most of you may, may or may not. It's right off Interstate 75, South Georgia. Small church, probably, probably around about 100. And in that, in that revival, the whole first week of that revival, one night, I don't know if you remember, Al Mangle came and sang, took up a big offering for him. Judy Jacobs came and sang, took up a big offering for her. Keith Dudley came in, took up a big offering for him. In other words, I was making sure that we weren't going to be able to afford to go to small churches. Am I helping anybody in the building? In other words, I began to help God out because I knew what I wanted. I wanted to go. And at that season of my life, we were going to the churches that Steve Brock, Nancy Harmon, Jensen Franklin, and Perry Stone were going to. Matter of fact, I've opened several great churches for Perry in that, in that season, that window. And so I, I wanted to go to all these big names, television, all these churches that had all these helps, and the bigger the better. So I, I actually began to taunt God, I guess, is the best way to, I just begin to, well, God, if you're going to prove yourself, you're going to prove yourself. And so that Friday night, was there all, Sunday morning, Friday night, giving away three nights offering a new, I knew probably the offering wasn't really all that great. I get a phone call. We're staying with the pastor, who happens to be my first cousin, my, my lifelong friend. He calls and says, hey, he said, duh, there's a, there's a woman in the church that wants to plant a seed in your ministry. How do you want the check made out? 
Now, before I tell you the rest of the story, we did not have prenatal insurance. Courtney's surgery was $180,000, and Blue Cross Blue Shield covered everything but $10,000. Because Courtney was not born face down like most babies were born, Courtney was born face up. She came in the world looking around. Because she was born in that position, Blue Cross Blue Shield chipped in and paid all of our prenatal. Remember that? Paid all of our expenses, left 10000 So I'm trying to prove to God that he can't sustain us in small churches in America. And so the pastor calls and he says, what name do you want on the check? I said, well, I want my name, Hank Davis. I want my name on the check. He said, okay. He said, by the way, you said the check is for 20000 I said, what? There was a woman in, her church, in his church that had married. I don't want to call him a jerk. There's probably a better name, but let's just call him a jerk. Always hindering her, always limiting her, always, just always putting the lid on. Wouldn't get involved in things she wouldn't involve, wouldn't finance, wouldn't tithe. He dies. Leaves her a chunk, a chunk of change, like $3.5 million. And she told the pastor, she said, I'm going to tie this to the church. That night, she wrote a check for $350,000, and she wrote a check for $20,000 to Hank and Rhonda. And I promise you, when, when he brought that check home, I just started crying. It's, it's, it's never been about the money. We've gone 18 months on a paycheck. Pastor Ron and I know how to be blessed and how to budget and how to eat ramen and macaroni. We know how to do that. We can do that. That's why I'm killing deer so we can eat the jerky. We're going to live on jerky. Man should not live by bread alone. He needs a little jerky. But I took, that, I took that check, and I just cried. I just, I just cried because it's God's way of showing me, 99 a boo-boo, if I give it as my will, then it is my bill. We took that 10000 we paid off the we, we paid off Courtney's hospital bill. I actually think it doesn't really matter, but I actually think we took some of that money and gave to some of the other ministries because Lamentation 3 and 23 says, the promises of God are new every morning. The mercies of God are new every morning. Promises, mercies, same word. Great is thy faithfulness. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. If you're at a place where you feel like you've buried your talent, or you're at a place where you feel like your talent's not being used, or this morning some things have woke up in your spirit, and you realize there's some things you can do. There are some things you can be involved in. There are, there are some giftings and abilities God's given you. And you do not, like Schindler, want to die falling short. You don't want to die with things left undone. You want to be all that God wants you to be. You want to be a blessing to others. You want to partner with God. You want to covenant with God. And, and this morning, a light has kind of turned on, and that's, that's, that's what you feel in your heart and your spirit. That's where you're at right now. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. Just put it up, put it right back down, sure. All over this house. All over this house. Okay, now if you look up. If it's going to happen, it's going to be because you leave this chair, set your chin, square your shoulders, and decide to make it happen. There's no spiritual gifting that I can impart to you there's no, there's no slogan or bumper sticker or marquee statement that's going to change your life. It's that you're going to leave this place knowing 
There's only one Fifth Symphony. There's only one Mona Lisa. But each one of you have an area of greatness in your life equivalent to that symphony. Equivalent to that Mona. I never thought Mona Lisa was pretty. I never thought that was very unattractive. I don't know why people went. And there were a couple songs about it. I mean, I, I never got it. I just never, I just never, I guess I drank too much salt water when I was young. I guess there was obviously something, something wrong. I just never got it. But the world attaches that to greatness. Henry Ford created an assembly line. A genius went from one car a day to 100 cars a day. I don't know how many cars a day that Ford produces. They recall half of them found on road dead, you know, acronym for Ford. There you have it. But, 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 but the point of it is, each one of you here today has a Mona Lisa in your spirit. Each, each one of you has a signature song, signature sermon, signature statement. Nobody can do it like you can. Nobody has your DNA. Nobody has your fingerprint. Nobody has that call. Now, will God take that call and place it upon others if you choose? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you say, if you just live your life, I don't care. I'm not ever going to step out of the boat. I'm never going to take a chance. I'm never going to. I'm never, then, yeah, God, God may take that gifting. God may take that call. Well, he did. The guy that had one talent and he planted it. Remember what God did to it? Gave it to the guy that had 10. As if he didn't have enough on his plate already. Hello. God said, here's some more. I, I trust you with seed. I trust you with this impartation. So if it's going to change, you're going to change it. And you're going to make a decision. And I believe that God will help you with the right decision. You don't know how to make that decision? Start reading the, the, the Gospel of John. Read the first chapter. Read the first verse chapter all the way through.